Let us turn now back, friends, to the portion of Scripture which we read together. The Gospel of Christ according to John, in chapter 10. And seeking the light and help of God's Spirit on his word, we'll look again at the words we have in verse 14. John chapter 10 and verse 14. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. I think if you were to ask yourself, what animal you would most like to be compared to. A sheep would be pretty far down that list. We would often like to think we're as strong as the ox, as fast as the horse. But really, we are very comparable to the beasts we call sheep. And the Lord calls his people sheep. Very often he calls his people his sheep. And there are many things we can take out of those animals that we, particularly in this country, are very familiar with. Sheep are very prone to find danger. They're prone to wander. And how often is this true of ourselves? We have a sense of liberty but so often we choose the wrong paths we choose so often to find danger we wander from the path we ought to be in and the path we ought to be on another thing about sheep is they stand out if you think of deer and other such animals the the colors that they have blend in with their surroundings but if you see a field full of sheep, you can pretty much count them. They stand out in such a contrast to the green of the field around them. And as the Lord's people, this should be us. We have the backdrop of this world, this wilderness indeed that we find ourselves in. And we, whether we like it or not, as the Lord's people, are to stand out in contrast. This, of course, not just speaks to a witness, but also speaks to very real danger. The more you stand out, the more a predator is able to see you and catch you. There is, we are told, a roaring lion seeking to devour us. And that the more we stand out, the more he seeks us. And this is true, is it not, of the sheep out in these fields. Such is that standing out. And the reality is that these creatures, these sheep, they require human intervention. They need man to build fences and walls to keep them out, keep predators out, and to keep them from wandering. They require human intervention to keep them fed and nourished properly, to strengthen them. And this is true of course as well is it not of us we cannot survive in and of ourselves in this world we require intervention 
from the Son of Man. We require his protecting hand upon us. We look at some of these things as we go on for a short while this morning. Our theme simply this morning is the shepherd and his sheep. And our three points are laid out quite neatly in our verse at this time. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. So first of all, our first point then, the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Shepherds in the time of the Bible writers, particularly when Christ was in this world, they were different to the shepherds we have today. One particular thing that stands out is that they actually used to dwell with the sheep. They were always around their sheep. They didn't have such things as up-to-date fences and substantial walls to keep predators out. So they had to keep a watch on their sheep. And because they didn't have fields and markers, they had to be led to pastures and to watering holes to get nourishment. And this is a good example of the Lord guiding his people. Give ear, O shepherd, o shepherd of Israel, as the psalmist says, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock. And the shepherd to the sheep was to be the focal point. Without looking at the sheep, the shepherd, you were prone to wander to the left or to the right. And if you wanted nourishment, if you wanted to be kept alive, the whole point of your existence was to keep your eyes set on the shepherd. Otherwise you're going to find trouble and find yourselves wandering. And I ask you today, are you following this shepherd? Is he your focal point? Is he the very centre of your existence? That you know that without him, without his intervention, you'd be of all men most miserable. Is he the very centre of your existence? He is your guide even unto and beyond death itself. He should be your focal point as to whatever comes to pass in this world. Keep your eye fixed on the author and finisher of your faith. The shepherd also feeds his flock. We sang that a while ago. We are his flock. He doth us feed. And for his sheep he doth us take. Because of the climate in Israel, the sheep had to be fed a lot more often. They had to be nourished far more frequently than perhaps our own sheep up here in Scotland. Water, watering holes and green pastures, relatively difficult to come by. And it meant that, just the climate itself meant that they were hungrier. They realised that they needed more food and nourishment because of the heat and the barren, mostly wilderness that they might find themselves in. 
My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land. That's the attitude of the psalmist. And it should be what we realise this day itself. This world, we can say, is a dry and thirsty land. All that is around us, materially speaking, are broken cisterns that can hold no water. But there is one who feeds with water that will quench every thirst. And with this water you will never thirst again. This is the pure water of the gospel itself. Will you be fed by the gospel waters? Even in this congregation today. That stream, that flow of water that comes from the scriptures. Beckoning sinners to come to him. You may freely drink of this water today. Because where else can you go? Where else can you be fed? What other things maybe you're turning to? And I speak to even the Christians here. Are you setting too much affection on things of this world? Are they taking up too much of your time? And in the meantime, because of that, you're finding yourself more spiritually hungry. Because you're not being fed by the things that Christ has given you. May Christ be your food and your drink this day itself. Isaiah said, Eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. The good shepherd also protects. We've touched on this already. Paul says to the Thessalonians, But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. There are many, many predators seeking after the sheep particularly. Not just the evil one itself, but there are many things set up to distract you, to take your eyes off him who is the author and finisher of faith. Most of what we call entertainment and recreation today is designed for that very purpose, to take you off to take your mind and your thoughts off real, substantial things about reality. Be sure to not be taken up so much in these things that they become the centre of your existence. These things are, in a sense, predators seeking after the sheep. Anything to take the Christian's mind off their saviour. The reality is, is that he so protects no access is granted by any predator unless he sees fit. An example of that is, of course, Job. Did Satan have freedom to just go to Job unhindered? Or did he have to effectively ask permission of God to do so? He had to go for permission. But even the Lord said to him, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. Put not forth, do not touch Job himself. And the Lord only let Satan do what he did for Job's own ultimate good. But again, 
Do not let these things ensnare you. May they be used, rather, to purify you, as the Lord intends to do. Finally, in this point, and a most important point, is that the Good Shepherd gives his life for the sheep. As he says in verse 11, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Mostly today, the sheep are the income of the shepherds. They are the bread and butter. That's what they need to sustain themselves in this world. They might find it a hobby and a recreation and find much joy in it. But ultimately, they need to keep after, look after the sheep because at the end of the day, there'll be financial incentive. They're certainly not going to give their life for the sheep, at least intentionally. Might be the case they're rescuing one and they're tragically killed, but that was an accident. How different is the good shepherd? Giveth his life for the sheep. And how did he do such a thing? The shepherd became as one of the sheep for redemption. You can imagine just now you're seeing one of those lorries that contain animals and all the sheep are going onto it, ready to be taken to the slaughterhouse. Can you imagine a shepherd stopping and taking the place of one of the sheep? This is what's happened. The Lord taking the place, taking the wrath of God upon his own head for his sheep. I remember hearing a story a number of years ago. I believe it was from the southern states of America a few centuries ago, I believe. And there was two, there was a twins, an elder one and a younger one. And the elder one was quite prosperous. He had done reasonably well in life. He was well behaved, an honourable man. And the younger brother went a very much different way. He was always thieving and robbing and finding himself in all sorts of trouble. And the brothers didn't really get on either. But one night, the elder brother has a knock at the door, middle of the night, and it's his younger brother, and his clothes are covered in blood and his hands. And he says, you need to help me. The police are coming after me. I've killed someone when I was on the thief. And the elder brother, without hesitation, says, come into the house and get out of those clothes as soon as you can. And as he did so, the younger brother then snuck out the back window and ran for the hills. But in the meantime, the elder brother was in the room and he put on the clothes that the younger brother took off. When the police came to the door, he simply said, it was me. And a couple of years later, the younger brother comes back to the town, disguising himself, come to see his brother that he hadn't seen since that time. He finds someone else living in the house, goes to the courthouse and explains what's happened. And they said, that crime has been paid for. That man was put to death for that crime. Interesting thing is, the courthouse said, even if you confess, 
The law has no hold upon you. The crime has been paid for. The debt has been settled. That is what the good shepherd did for his sheep. He put your sin-ridden garments upon himself and went to Calvary's tree wearing them. And in, re in return, we get the cleanest garments possible. Christ's cloak of righteousness. So we have in the first place the good shepherd. Secondly, the knowing shepherd. The knowing shepherd. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep. What is this knowledge? It would be good for us just briefly to define this knowledge. And this knowledge is, of course, uh, it's not just a peripheral knowledge. You might know a friend of a friend. You know of them. You know they exist as individuals. But this knowledge is an intimate, close, personal knowledge that the Lord has to his people. Ryle says that Christ knows us with a special knowledge of love and approval. The closest bond we know in this world is the bond between a husband and his wife. That is such between the Lord and his bride, the church herself. So much so that he would say, as we read in the Song of Solomon, Behold, thou art fair, my love, thou art fair. But this knowledge is a vital knowledge. His knowledge is the vital one in this union. If I was to go down to Buckingham Palace and I went to the guard at the gate and I said, Can you allow me in? I know the king. I wouldn't get in. They wouldn't allow me access. But they would if the king came to the gate and said, let him in, I know him. Such is the same with Christ's knowledge. How is he known as then with this knowledge? Well, he's known as from eternity. He's known as from eternity. In John 6 verse 38. I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He was sent down to save a people unto himself. A people chosen from eternity. Before any saint was ever born, his name was chosen in all eternity. Given to him by the Father in eternity past. Romans 8, we have that very well known verse. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And the wonderful thing about that is, is that group, that chosen group from eternity past, is not just a, a vague, faceless group or a conditional group. He knows his sheep by name, as we read in verse 3. He calleth his sheep by name. 
Yes, even your name itself. It might be a scary thought, in a sense, that God knows every single detail about your life. That can cause us to quiver. What we know about ourselves is bad enough, but to know that God knows the greater extent of our evil can be a scary thing. But is it not also an encouraging thing? We are very ready, rightly, to condemn ourselves based on what we know about ourselves. And yet with the greater knowledge God has of us, he has saved us. He knows you better than you know yourself. And yet he set his love upon you. Where sin abounded, we are told, grace did much more abound. And it's not an encouraging thing that we are in that group mentioned in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In that group that Christ speaks of, are people from Inverness in this congregation this morning. Christ is speaking of you. You were known from eternity. You were known at this moment. And you'll be known intimately and personally into the endless ages of eternity to come. He knows you not just from eternity past, but he knows you presently. And know my sheep. Like we mentioned at the start that the shepherds in Israel would dwell with the sheep. Because they were perpetually watching. Watching for all their needs. Keeping an eye on each individual sheep. Were they thirsty? Give them drink. Were they hungry? Give them food. Were they injured? Making themselves more susceptible to predation. Heal them. That good shepherd has his eye over his flock. And it's no different to the Lord's people here. We have a high priest, do we not? That stays with us. I will not leave you comfortless, he said to his disciples. We have a staying high priest, but we have a praying high priest as well, who prays for his people. I pray for them, he said in his high priestly prayer. I pray for them. I've got Rutherford in my notes, but I think it was actually McChain who said about how much of an encouragement it would be to hear the Lord, Lord audibly in the next room praying for you. But he said, distance is no difference. He is praying for me. What a great encouragement that is itself. But he knows you also forever. He knows you forever. He also said in his high priestly prayer, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Where is the shepherd gone? He is not physically 
here in our midst. He has gone to seek pasture. He has gone to seek a dwelling place. I go to prepare a place for you. And the sheep, as we are left behind, are looking and longing for his return. There's much to discourage us and it makes us long for the day where Christ emerges victorious over all these things. When the chief shepherd shall appear, Peter says, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. We cannot wait for this day to hear those words, Come ye blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. You have a most blessed future ahead of you, dear Christian. There is a personal space set aside for you, if we can say it that way, in glory. It's been there from all eternity and it will be occupied by you one day. And in the light of that, are you indeed looking for his return as you ought? Are you gazing into heaven as the apostles were after he ascended, longing for his return? So we have the knowing shepherd. So thirdly and finally, the known shepherd. The known shepherd. Verse 14. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. There are various ways in which we know the Lord. He's known through the word. He's known through the very scriptures itself. My sheep hear my voice, he says in this chapter. And this form of communication, this blessed volume that we have before us, is how God has chosen to communicate to his people. Writing is a very long-lasting form of communication. There are many different ways of passing down information that have gone in generations gone by, that have faded into obscurity. But writing, copying, such things make such messages last, particularly when they are guarded by the providence of God. We have been promised that this these scriptures would be preserved for us, providentially kept, even in our own tongue. And here we have them here. And because of this, because that he is known through these perfectly preserved scriptures, the sheep desire to hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. They long to hear it. They say with the psalmist, I'll hear what God the Lord will speak to his folk. He'll speak peace. Do you enjoy, dear friend, the blessings of devotion and public worship? Do you come here with the sole purpose of hearing his voice in the scriptures? There was a woman heard of that was very, very diligent, even in her old age, at attending the scriptures 
the, the, the public worship to hear the scripture even read. And the minister asked her, what is it that motivates you to come each and every week, even when you're perhaps injured or not feeling too great? She said, I would hate to be absent when it has told me he was there. She knew that the Saviour would be present and if she was absent she would feel that sorely. He is known through the word but he is known through the preaching as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21 it says It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believed. Preaching is the very power of God expressed. As weak as the vessels may and are, may be and are, it is a powerful work that goes on, as it were, underneath the surface. The world thinks that what you do here each and every week is nothing more than theatre or a charade of some kind. But this is this assembly here, as it gathers every week, is an expression of the power of God, the drawing power of God to take a congregation in and the, even using the foolishness of preaching to make his will known to that congregation. It's a spiritual mystery, but it is the means God has used to make himself known. What draws you in to the preaching? Is it like we said before, a fear of missing the very presence of the Saviour if you are not here? But is it not just to learn more, to grow in knowledge and in grace? Is that what draws you in? That is what should draw each and every single one of us in to the public worship each time. Because he is known through the preaching and he is known, of course, through the means of grace as we are gathered here today. Let us draw near, the Hebrew writer says, with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He, dear friend, has promised to be where the sheep are gathered. He's also known, finally in this point, through providence. He's also known through providence. Job knew this. In the hard and difficult providence he had, he still mustered up the famous saying, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of of the Lord. Job saw all these things unfolding before him. One by one, one thing very dear to him and important to him was taken away. And yet he saw the Lord's hand in it all. The sheep have, to coin the term, front row seats to the will of God being played out before us. We are being told, are we not, in our schools that everything is an accident but not so for the children of God. 
they know the outworking of providence in all things that take, come to pass in this world, particularly concerning themselves. You see, do you not, the Lord's hand in your own life, even in the sweetest and simplest little providences. You can advocate that the Lord is known through providence. What a wonderful thing this is. And this gives us the greatest comfort, even in heartache. Even as you may be broken in your heart over one thing or another, know that he holds your heart in his hand and he guides you into that way everlasting. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, the psalmist says, and afterward receive me into glory. So what shall we say then briefly in conclusion? What thoughts can we take away from this? A believer, there is much to encourage us in these words. Maybe this one isn't as quoted as verse 11. The one we've considered here. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. But it's a great, great encouragement, this verse. If he knows his sheep, nothing can come between him and his sheep. No, not even a depth of sin that you might think you find yourself in. He knows about it. But he still knows you intimately. And will deliver you from all these things. And there is much to encourage us also when we look at the ungodliness prevailing, it seems, in the world around us. Where we see the wicked great in power. Spreading like a green bay tree. At a very time where sadly the church is so divided. All these things can be discouraging to us. But there is a chief shepherd. Who overrules in all these things. Whom we seek to gather to worship. Even this day. But finally unbeliever. What are you to make of this? Make sure you come to know this good shepherd. Because as you stand here still not believing in Christ, you are still in that slaughter line that we spoke of earlier. You are being beckoned onto that truck to take you to the very slaughterhouse. Come to know the one who is that substitute for you. His hand is open liberally to you, even today. Come to know the good shepherd that knows his sheep and is known of them. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to us this morning. Let us pray. <coughs> Most merciful and gracious God, we give thanks for the encouraging words of the scriptures at this time. We give thanks for the good shepherd who was not willing that we would be left as we were, left walking according to the course of this world, but redeemed us unto himself. 
We, Lord, give thanks that we have that joy to look forward to. That regardless of the darkness of this world, it will not prevail. We will be in that everlasting light of the glory of God one day. Pray that the saints will be built up in their most holy faith in these words and that sinners will be turned anew to Christ as he is offered in this gospel. Go before us in our parting praise and pardon our sins we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> we'll now sing in conclusion the well-known words of Psalm 23. Psalm number 23, the whole psalm. The Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. My soul he doth restore again, and me to walk doth make within the paths of righteousness, even for his own name's sake. Yea, though I walk in death's dark vale, yet will I fear none ill. For thou art with me, and thy rod and staff me comfort still. My table thou hast furnished, in presence of my foes. My head thou dost with oil anoint, and my cup overflows. Goodness and mercy, all my life shall surely follow me. And in God's house forevermore, my dwelling place shall be. Sing these verses to God's praise. The whole of Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. I'll not want. The Lord's my shepherd.
The service this evening is at the usual time of 6.30pm. The prayer meeting on Thursday and next Sabbath, the services are at the usual times and I hope to take these services. The funeral service for the late Mr Alistair McIntosh, Senior Elder in the Doors Congregation, will take place on Tuesday 14th of February at the William T. Fraser Funeral Home, Caldothal Road, Inverness, at 12 noon. Interment thereafter will be at the Doors Cemetery. The seminary will be meeting for classes during the forthcoming week and the manse will be occupied by students and lecturers during this time. The Deacon's Court has agreed to installation of a defibrillator service within the premises here for the use of the congregation in an emergency. It has been recommended by the charity for whom we have procured the service uh, that a training session in basic CPR takes place. There will also be instructions for us all on how to use the machine, the defibrillator, which usually speaks its own instructions. This training evening will take place here tomorrow, uh, Monday the 6th of March at 7pm and last approximately 90 minutes. It is hoped that as many as possible from the congregation, no matter their age, will attend. A minimum of 12 people is requested by the trainers. So please do add your name to the list outside as you leave. And as someone who has actually done this training before, I really do recommend it to you. It is a vital service uh, provided for the congregation. Uh, the February Witness magazines are now available on the vestibule table ready collection and all these intimations are of course subject only to the will of the Most High. May the Lord go before us the remainder of this day. <clears throat> 